I mean, we've been in, in 1 Timothy. I mean, we want to go to chapter 3 this morning. Last week, I, I don't know, if, maybe, maybe I scared a lot of people last week with their talk about, uh, their talk about uh, the biblical understanding of manhood and womanhood. Um, but for those of you who are here, I'm glad to see you. Um, but uh, So this morning, uh, we're going we're gonna to take a, a, a less incendiary path and move towards something uh, that, uh, that, that you can all, uh, hopefully we can rally around this morning. First uh, Timothy three is is uh, is uh, geared towards uh, the offices of the church and the, the leadership that is contained within the church and what that looks like and really overall a lot of the ways that our churches structure themselves in today's uh, in today's climate oftentimes largely ignores what's what's prescribed here in in scripture and so we want to take a look here and we want to we want to dive into this text and we want to we want to think about it and we want to think about what it means for us at buffalo city church um and we want to uh we want to walk away with from it with an understanding of of maybe some things that we've seen before that are incorrect and maybe some things that we've seen before that are good um but we want to weigh that all within a line of scripture remember as we're pursuing this uh this idea of covenant membership, as we're pursuing this idea of coming together as being a people who, who want to covenant together, who want to partner together as those who have trusted the gospel, who have trusted in Jesus, have trusted in the, the work of Christ and, and the person of, of Jesus. We want to come together. We want to look at what it means then to get together and to be healthy, to be in a healthy place as a congregation um, so that we might carry out the purposes of the church. So this, this book really is written to Timothy. It's written to Timothy uh, by the Apostle Paul. Timothy was his mentee. He was mentoring Timothy. And, and Paul is instructing Timothy of how to engage the church, how to, to look at various, uh, various issues that popped up in the life of the church. Timothy is in Ephesus, and he's serving the church in Ephesus. So last week we discussed uh, the conduct commensurate with gospel truth and creation roles um, mandated, given to us in 1 Timothy 2, the second half of 1 Timothy 2. Um, and then the week before we talked about prayer and how Paul prescribes to Timothy. He says, hey, before all else, you need to be a people who are praying. You need to be people who are continually praying. Um, and then before that, we looked at in chapter 1, we took that whole chunk of text together and we talked about some of these, these issues, some of these uh uh, what would be we would call distractions that were going on in the church? These these men who were preaching strange doctrines, these silly myths, and these endless genealogies that we were pursuing. And Paul says that's not what we do. We find together we find our identity in Jesus, and together we 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 take our uh, we take that understanding and we move towards uh, a, a posture of awe and a posture of worship, so that we can praise together the risen Christ. So this morning, we, th th that's the flow, the thrust, right? Paul gives us, addresses these distractions, moves to doxology, speaking of God's glory, and then he moves to, okay, here's the practical outworking of this, prayer first, and then what it looks like to be a man and a woman within the context of church, and now he moves into uh, this discussion of overseers, pastors, elders, and deacons in chapter 3. So let's read this text together this morning. I'll, I'll read it out loud. Um, we're just going to take the whole, the whole chapter. So this is 1 Timothy 3, beginning in verse 1, and we'll read through verse 16. It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, 
temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? And not a new convert, so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church, so that he will not fall into reproach in the snare of the devil. Deacons, likewise, must be men of dignity, not double-tongued or addicted to much wine or fond of sordid gain, but holding with the holding to the mystery of faith with a clear conscience. These men also must be first tested, then let them serve as deacons, if they are beyond reproach. Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Deacons must be husbands of one wife and good managers of their children in their own households. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and a great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. I am writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long, but in case I am delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself within the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. By common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. He who was revealed in the flesh was vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed in the world, taken up in glory. Let's pray. Lord God, as we look at this text this morning, I pray that you would grant us understanding. God, we are so grateful for your word. Lord, I pray that throughout our week, God, we would, we would pursue you through your word. Thank you for the divine revelation given to us in scripture. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Okay, so this text this morning gives us a, a, a glimpse then of what the lead, leadership should look like. And I think there's a, probably a lot of different uh, notions we have about church leadership. Um, but I want to propose to you first and foremost that leadership in the church is, is, a, is, a, is an office, is a role of a servant. It's not a role of, of a CEO. It's not a role of, a, of an individual who sits in an ivory tower and passes down mandates or edicts to people, but one who is heavily invested in the life of the people within the congregation of the local church. Um, and, so, and so as we look at this text, Paul uses the word here overseer, but interchangeably in Scripture we see overseer, pastor, and elder. Those three words are used interchangeably throughout the course of Scripture. And so all three of those, um, whenever you see those pop up in Scripture, are meant to be the same office, are meant to be the same role within the local church. So as we look at this, as this, at this text, first thing I want to, like I said, I want I want you to see that the leadership with the church is predicated, is rooted, is grounded in a life of service. Much like, and this is this is indicative. This is a, a result of what we see in the life of Jesus. Right? Jesus was considered the suffering servant, the one who washed the feet of his disciples, the one who who actively engaged people and served with them, lived where they were at, and not in a different not in a different place. But I want to give you sort of the big idea or just sort of the thrust behind this text this morning. Paul outlines for Timothy the, the necessary, and I'm going to add this, the necessary gospel-wrought qualifications for church's servant leaders. Paul outlines for Timothy the necessary gospel-wrought 
qualifications for churches servant leaders. I think that that will make more sense as we move along here. I added this term, if you, if you grabbed a, 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 a community group discussion guide, I mean, I'll say it doesn't have the gospel rot. I put gospel rot because everything that's given in this text, um, everything that's given in this text flows out of a deep gospel impact in the life of the individual um, who is called to serve the church in this way. So we're going to look at the uh, at verses three or at verses uh, chapter three verses one through seven. We're going to look at that that chunk because that's for overseers, pastors, and elders. And then we're going to look at verses eight through thirteen. This is addressing deacons, particularly. We'll flesh out what that looks like. Um, and then in, and then fourteen through sixteen, the end of the chapter sort of gives us a, a nice little. Uh, it gives us an end point. It gives us a bookend for the beginning of this book. And, and Paul sort of begins to uh, give us a little bit more of an understanding of behind some of these conduct things that he's talked about, both for men and women and then for church leadership. Okay, so let's take these first seven verses here um, where Paul writes to uh, Timothy about overseers, about, uh, about elders, and about pastors here in this, in this chunk of text. So remember last week, and it, it, what I want to see, what I want you to see here is the, sort of like the natural flow. Like I want you to see that there is a flow in this text. And I've said this a couple times as we've been studying First Timothy, that the text flows, right? That, that this was written, we didn't have, when Paul wrote this to Timothy, he didn't put chapter and verse in here. This was just a straight letter. He's writing to Timothy, but it sat down and read the letter from start to finish. So there's a natural flow here of, of what's going on, right? So, so we, have, uh, we have Paul addressing Timothy, uh, distractions, these silly mess, these things that are going on, um, and then he, he gets into what the practical issues are. And then when we got to roles last week, we were talking about biblical manhood and biblical womanhood and the roles of men and women. Um, all of a sudden we, we switch, and we previewed this just a little bit last week, but we switch over to then, what do the roles of the offices of the church look like? What, within this context, how does this look? And, and how, so, so Timothy would have read this, and he would have gone through this, and he like, okay, men and women, and now for church leadership, um, how do I consider who's, who's qualified to be a leader in the local church? Um, so he gives these qualifications then in verses 1 through 7, and he gives it sort of in, this, in the form of this list here. And, and, this is, and, and again, this is conduct-driven, but remember last week we talked about the fact that anytime Paul is talking about the conduct, he's rooting it in gospel truth. And we have that gospel truth laid out for us at the end of chapter 1, especially in verse 15, when Paul is talking about himself. He says, this is a trustworthy statement deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. So all of these conduct things are, are, res are results of gospel impact in the life of the believer. So let's look at this list quickly, and then we'll, we'll take it aside, and then we'll dive into a couple of the things uh, briefly in the list. Okay. So we have this list, and I'm, I'm going I'm to paraphrase some of these, but because I, I want to give you the thrust behind them a little bit. Um, the, the first one here is a desire to shepherd, and I'm pulling that out of, uh, the, uh, the, of, out of verse 1. It is a trustworthy statement, if any man aspires to the office of overseer, is a fine work he desires to do. Um, a desire, he says, he desires to do, it's a desire to shepherd the people of God. Okay, so that's the first one, I'll just run through the rest of these. Above reproach, husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, 
respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or my text says pugnacious, your Bible probably says violent, um, something along those lines, um, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money, a home manager, not a new convert, a good external reputation. So that, that, there's a big list there, and by my count, that's 14 different things, um, and I even combined it, a couple of them, um, and this is how we know if a man is then qualified for the office of overseer, pastor, or elder. The, these things um, must be weighed and tested for the individual who is called to lead the church. If he believes, if an individual believes that he is called to be a leader within the local church, he must meet, according to Paul, these qualifications. So, so notice what Paul doesn't list here. I think this is big. Notice what Paul doesn't list here because this is kind of the direction that the church has gone as we've moved more towards an institutionalized understanding of what the local church looks like. Um, um, so, and we'll talk about a couple of models here. But, but notice what he doesn't. Um, some of these things are imposed on us by Christian culture. Um, many churches have subscribed to the, I, I guess, what would be called like a CEO and the board model, where you have like a pastor who's like a CEO figure, um, and then you have like a board of elders, sometimes deacons, um, which is a misunderstanding. We'll talk about that too. But a board, a, a CEO, like this head who's kind of like running the show, and then he has a board who just like keeps him in check, and, and that's the purpose of, of elders in some context. That's an incorrect understanding because that's, that's not what we see here in the text. We do not see this in the text. In fact, we see quite the opposite. We see men who are, who are the only way to sort of weigh some of these things, some of these things that are given, and like I said, we'll dive into some of these. The only way, the only way to weigh some of these things is to actually interact with these men. You can't be sitting up here as a CEO. I don't, know if, I don't know if any of you worked in like a big corporation or worked in a big corporation. The CEO is totally inaccessible. I couldn't just sit down and, and write and type an email to CEO at you know, gmail.com and, and, and get a hold of him. Like I couldn't pick up my phone and dial his extension. Like that's not, it's not accessible. That, that individual is not accessible. And so in that model, we kind of have taken um, some of these external things then and, and imposed them. We said, okay, so if we're hiring a pastor, a lot of churches will do this, right? So one of the great benefits of planning a church is that no one would hire me. So I just showed up here, and you guys, and you guys were like, and you showed up, and, then, and maybe someday you'll fire me. I don't know. But, but, that's one, but, but the hiring process for a lot of churches, they get into this, and they're like, well, what do we want? What do we want out of a guy? Do we want a guy like the last guy we had, or do we want a different guy? And then they start to like make a laundry list. They're like, well, we want a different guy in this. We want a different guy here. Um, this guy made a mess here. And so we want, we, he wasn't very organized, so we want an organized guy. But I don't, see, I don't see that as part of this list, although some of those things could be contained within that. But, but a lot of things that go on lists, and I, I'll actually, I'm going to read you some things that I found just like online, like on some church hiring websites that say, like here are the, some of the qualifications, like the top ones that I found like repeated. Team building. Are they able to build a team of people? And I mean, team building's a great thing. There's no doubt about it. But it's not one of the qualifications listed in, in uh, and, but, but see, see, even like a team building understanding, that comes out of, like that flows out of this idea that the pastor is, is a CEO, or that elders are, and the elders are a board. Can he build a team? Um, Oratorical skill or the ability to speak well in front of people. Um, a lot of times we'd be like, "Yeah, sure he, uh, sure he 
can't tell his right foot from his left, but can he preach? Well, um, yeah, I mean, maybe, but I mean, is that is that part of what, and we'll talk more about what the teaching aspect is here, because Paul does list uh, the ability to teach as an important component for the elder. And then uh, a clear strategy for growth, that's another one that you hear a lot of, like, how are you going to grow the church? Okay, so um, being a pastor now, I have uh, the luxury of, like, if I've kind of, like, filled in my occupation on Facebook, and Facebook makes all these recommendations for videos. I don't know, man. It's like, it's crazy when, now when you just like pull up a video on your phone, and then it just like plays the next one, and the next one, and they're like, there's some like complex algorithm that knows my brain, and like how I'm wired, so I just like keep watching them, and, uh, which is really terrible. But the, what, what's going on there, is I got to one this week, and it was like, hey, do you want $100,000 to advertise your church. $100,000 worth of free advertising for free. And I was like, maybe, I don't know, tell me more. So, but, but so we started, we started like, I started going down and at, at one point I thought to myself, this is satire. Because it was so ridiculous because it was so geared towards this idea that the pastor uh, or elders need to be, or to have first and foremost, a clear growth strategy. Like, how are we gonna grow? Like, what, what, in, but, but what that ignores, what, it, what an idea of that ignores is the personal elements that are, are involved in the understanding of who the leaders in the church are. So clear strategy for growth, that's something that the world, this is again one of the things. And then, and then past successes, like what does the resume look like? Well, the, well he had a church of, of 2,000 people. Like there were 2,000 people in that church, that's great, he must have done that. And so, and so then we, 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 we potentially hire that individual based on some of these some of these non-essential things that we find in scripture. Okay, um, so um, let me give you a quote. This is from Bob Thune. He's a pastor of Quorum Deo Church in Omaha. He writes this. He, he wrote just like a little book. Um, it's called Biblical Eldership, and it's really helpful. It's a really helpful understanding um, of what eldership is. And just based on this passage and a passage in Titus one and then a couple other things. Um, he writes this about this particular model of church. In the CEO board model, which closely mirrors corporate governance, the pastor functions as the CEO or point leader of the church. The elders are not seen as pastors, but rather as a sort of governing board whose job is to keep the pastors in check and provide a system of checks and balances lest the ministry staff or pastors have, this is key, too much power. Um, we live in a world that craves and desires to have power. Um, and, and in a lot of ways, we're like, okay, so we need somebody to sit back and to, to, have, an, to have some kind of role in the church to, to, to chain that individual down and make sure that they're not doing what they want to do when they want to do it. Um, but, but again, this is a huge misunderstanding of what, uh, what Paul prescribes for Timothy as the qualifications for uh, overseers, pastors, and elders. So let's move then back to... Let's move then back to this, this list. Well, look, yeah, yeah, let's move back to this list in, in, in chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. And let me, let me just break some of these down for you, because I think these are so important. Again, we were talking, and this is, again, this is a huge part of what this is. All of these things are, are indicators of direct, deep impact of gospel truth in the life of, of the man who is called or desires to be an elder or a pastor, or an overseer. Um, elders must demonstrate a profound understanding of their position before God, 
before they trusted Christ and after trusting Christ, continually to be in awe of what God has done for them in Jesus. And this is sort of that deep impact thing. Like, like if you're an individual called to be a leader in the church, first you have to recognize just the, the weightiness of your sin pre-Christ and how that separated you from God and that there was no way that you could make up that difference. You can't rely, you can't trust on, on your own righteousness. You can't trust anything other than Christ and then the awe-inspiring gospel truth that comes to us in Jesus Christ. Um, we need to, as leadership, as those who are in called to be leadership in the local church, be the pace setters. We'll talk about that in a moment. We need to be the pace setters for the understanding of gospel truth. Everything comes back to the truth of the gospel for the leader in the local church. Um, the impact of gospel truth drives these conduct-related issues in chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, for the overseer, pastor, and for the elder. And this drives the mission and the vision of the local church, too. As long as the mission and the vision of the local church is rooted in gospel truth, we must have a mission and vision that first finds its, its, its origination point in the gospel. Um, and so, uh, let's look at a few of these things, then, because I think this will become more clear. It'll, it'll focus up a little bit when, as we begin to look at some of these things. Okay, so what the first thing that Paul says to Timothy in verse 2, then, is an overseer, then, must be above reproach. Above reproach. Uh, that's an idea that kind of gets thrown out a lot. Um, but what does Paul mean when he says that? The idea that elders are free from the appearance of sin, that they're not putting themselves, um, they're not putting themselves in a position where they might be finally, I'm going to use that word carefully, finally accused of sin. Um, and the reason I say finally is because they could someone could give some evidence for it, right? Or ultimately, like um, above reproach means being in a position in society where no one or anyone could could give a uh, an account or give a testimony against you uh, according to the sin in your life, except for um, uh, or up into the point where that would be uh, where it would be substantiated with with evidence. This cannot be uh, the. An elder, a pastor, or an overseer cannot be accused of violating the conduct laid out through the rest of uh, the rest of chapter three, verses one through seven. And that's that's what's important. That's what's at heart. That's why I think Paul starts there. Um, must be above reproach. Basically, saying like all of the things that I'm going to lay out for the rest of here in the rest of this list here need to be um, need to be. Uh, no one can bring a charge against this individual according to the remaining things here on this list. So the next place he goes is husband of one, one wife. And this is a bit controversial because even as we talked about some of like the cultural issues that surrounded manhood and womanhood in Ephesus last week, um, this one, people uh, look at this and say, well, well Paul, what Paul is doing here is saying, he's, he's speaking out against polygamy. But, but I, think, I think if you look at this text a little closer, I, I don't think that's what he's saying, although I do believe that it's included. I think Paul is being a little, like, he's being more pointed here. I think he's being more pointed than just saying, uh, like, no, no polygamy. Um, what he's saying here is, um, literally what the text says is that, uh, that, that this individual would be a one-woman man. That's literally what the text says, one-woman man. 
And I believe that that means that elders are very careful, men as elders and pastors and overseers are very careful in the way that they interact with women in the local church and women in the context at large. Um, not as those who appear romantically interested in a woman who is not his wife or his future wife, if single. Um, and, uh, and also, uh, this means that elders' eyes and thoughts and hearts are free from engaging women in a way that would prevent him from being a one-woman man. That's what this text is, a thrust here. That's, that's, that's harder, that's taking a harder line. Men need to, in, their, in the way that they interact with women, if they aspire to be, desire to be elders, need to be, need to be above reproach in their, the idea that they are a one-woman man. Okay, so let's then move down a, a couple on this list here. And at the end of verse 2, he says, able to teach. And now this is a big one because of even what I mentioned before, like, some of the church, some people in the church would say, like, oratorical skill is so important. It's like the number one thing. Well, can he preach? Like, that's, that's one of the main issues that surrounds um, the hiring or firing of a pastor or even considering the appointing of an elder. But Paul doesn't say that that oratorical prowess or, or, or that that individual knows everything. That's not what this is about. It's not about, like, well, he's able to teach, therefore he has just this huge wealth of knowledge. That's not what Paul is saying. But rather that he possesses a skill set, right, that the elder possesses a skill set that, uh, that has the ability to process through God's word and digest that and re-communicate that to people in their life situations. That's what he means by, by ready to teach. And that, that comes in multiple contexts. That might come in a context like this, or it might come in a one-on-one -on -one direct discipleship context, or anything in between. Like, that's, that's what Paul is getting at when he's saying ready to teach. Paul even had this thing going on in his world where, where uh, in a, the, if you read the Corinthian correspondence, there was, there, Paul, Paul's letters were pretty, pretty strong. Like, the way that he wrote the, his letters, they were strong. I mean, he got to the heart of the issue, and he was, he was going at people in his letters. He goes at Hymenaeus and Alexander in 1 Timothy, just in like a real pointed way. But the Corinthians, they were frustrated because when he would show up, his appearance and the way that he interacted with them did not match that strong language, that strong appearance that he had that came through in his letters. And so they thought to himself, can we trust this guy? Can we believe that this guy is actually appointed by God as an apostle? Can we believe that he has, he has our best interest in mind and knows what's best? And so a lot of the Corinthian correspondence, first and second Corinthians, is geared towards Paul like arguing his case, saying, no, I'm appointed by God. I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. Um, these dudes who, in, in that time, these guys who would show up and, and start talking about, uh, they would start teaching, um, and they were teaching some false doctrines, um, they, were, they were pretty good-looking guys. Like that's what they that they would do that they would they would shave their heads and they oil up their bald heads and that was really cool in Corinth in that time and they would they, would, they had big muscles and Paul was just this unassuming small guy who probably had some kind of like speech impediment and was just like had this problem and they were just like I can't I can't even like I can't I don't even consider you to be someone who I can listen to because I look at you and I'm like ugh. Oh my gosh, I can't, I, can't, I, can't, I can't get past your appearance. And so some of this might even become, this is written much later in Paul's life to Timothy, 
But some of this might even be coming out of this understanding. Like, the ability to teach doesn't mean oratorical skill in the way that you carry yourself, but the, but the ability to process, digest, and re-communicate to people in, in any given setting. That's what the ability to teach is. And this includes correction as well. Um, I think Paul, Paul really wanted Timothy in, in a lot of ways, if chapter 1 is any indication to us, to, to have the freedom and the ability to speak directly into the problems, directly into the things that were going on that were compromising uh, the pursuit of gospel truth and the awe that people had in the gospel. Like, Paul wanted Timothy to know, like, even if we, if we move to the second letter that Paul writes to <laughs> Timothy, he, he says, hey, don't, don't act in a spirit of fear, Timothy. Like, you need to be acting according to, like, the truth that you know that resides within you. Like, that is, uh, that's important. So, so be willing to, if you're, if you're, even if you're a young person, even if, whoever, like, if you know something to be true biblically, speak it. And, and if you know someone who to be acting in opposition to gospel truth, you need to be ready and willing as someone who's processed God's word, digested it, and, um, and be ready to re-communicate that even in tough situations. Okay. So, and then if we, if we jump down even farther on this list, then we see sort of this concept of, I'm just calling it a home manager. Um, Paul says specifically, one who manages his household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how can he take care of the church of God? So this is a, like the home is almost an analogy for what, uh, what, uh, what, how the individual who is called to be a pastor, overseer, or uh, elder is called to be a uh, is a manager of his home will be a direct reflection of then how he manages the truth. If you're willing to correct and teach your children and disciple them well in the home and do that with your spouse and, and however that looks, then you will be willing to also do that in the, in the context of the, the local church. We've said this often. We've said that the, that the home is the, the first expression of the church. And we believe that. We believe that to be true. If if we are, especially with the young families that we have in this, in this context, like I can't impress upon this upon you enough. That we as people, as parents, as young parents, have, have a duty to uh, spend time speaking gospel truth in the life of our spouse and into the life of our children in order to build each other up in that truth. Um, and, and then so, so then out of that, elders um, are men who engage disciples <coughs> in their families as those who have been impacted by gospel truth. So there's a profound, like, unique, personal uh, understanding that is going on, um, and then that bears itself out in the family first, and then within the local church. So if you've been, if you've experienced this deep impact of the gospel in your life, that you, you won't be able to do anything but communicate that in the home and in the church at large. Um, so what does this not mean? Okay, so I think some have taken this text as well um, and, and turned it into um, like, well, if, you're, if your kids aren't, uh, don't profess Christ by age six, and if, uh, if they don't work at Christian camp, and, um, and uh, say, you know, I don't know, um, attend a Bible college or go to seminary or something like that, well, then you can't be an elder. That's absolutely not the case. Um, that individual is responsible, your child is responsible to respond to the gospel truth and, and to be awakened to that. 
But, but we're talking about creating an environment, managing a home that is, is firmly rooted in the good news of Jesus Christ. Um, elders then, so what it means is they're faithful to lead their families well and co communicate gospel truth to their families regularly. If a man is unable to communicate gospel truth, this is what Paul says right here in this text. If a man is unable to communicate gospel truth and the daily impact on his life to his family, then how can he be capable of doing that in the local church? And how can he be capable of doing that in the community at large? And the answer is, for Paul, then, presumably, the question is leading, but if a man does not know how to manage his household, how will he take care of the church? The answer is, he won't be able to. Okay, so um, we're not going to dive into any more of these, um, but some of these are important. Some of these will be fleshed out in a community group, and we can talk about these a little bit more, some of these understandings uh, of these qualifications given in uh, verses 1 through 7. But I just want to point out a couple more things uh, regarding elders. Um, one, it's always spoken of, elders are always spoken of in the plural in the New Testament. There's never a time where um, the word elder is used in the singular. Um, and that's a big deal um, because that means that in a local congregation, no matter the, what the size is, there should be a group of men leading the church. It should never just be one guy. It should never just be an authoritarian figure. It should always be a group of men who have the same title, elder, um, who are leading the church. Pastors are elders. Elders are overseers. Overseers um, are pastors. However many other ways that works. You can get the idea. Um, it's really important um, that we see that in Scripture. That it's always a plurality there. It's always a group of men set apart to shepherd and to lead the church. Um, the other thing is this is not a board. Um, churches like boards. Um, we, like, we like committees. Um, I've served in church con congregations where um, we've had committees and then we've had committees on committees. Which is, uh, which is just, I mean, and that's so, that's just like inception. Like, um, it's like dreams within a dream. And so like, what, what we're doing here is, is understanding that some of those ideas, boards are, that, that really represents sort of that CEO model, that the movement towards the understanding that the pastor is the head, and he's casting the vision, but he's this inaccessible guy up here who's like grabbing power here and there and keeping the shareholders happy. And then and the board is down here and be like, oh, you can't do that, you can't do that. That, that is not the way that the biblical understanding of elders is, is laid out. So it's not a group of guys who have voting privileges and set aside to have meetings and discuss the future of the local church, but who are largely disconnected. But elders are overseers. Elders are pastors. Um, elders who find their... This is, this is a distinction, too, um, but it's an important one. Elders, a lot of elders like, okay, so here at Buffalo City Church, we have... We, there's five of us. We have five. We have five elders, and this will just let you let you know. So um, Ralph Friebel is one of our our elders, and Larry Moser was our elders. Blaze Colleton is not here this morning, but he is one of our elders. And then Mark and myself, we consider ourselves elders. Our title might be pastor, but again, that's interchangeable. So we are what we believe to be the the five men at this point in the life of Buffalo City Church who are charged to shepherd, to lead, to guide, um, and to direct the life of the local church um, in a in in a gospel oriented sort of direction. Um, but but part of this is none of us find our full time vocation at this point in in the church. 
Mark and I are part-time, um, like, vocational uh, elders, and Larry and Blaze and Ralph are all uh, find their vocations outside of, of the local church entirely, but that doesn't mean that they don't have the same level of of accountability or um, need to be uh, active in the spiritual health and the well-being of the local church. Um, so, uh, yeah, so at Buffalo City Church, then we would affirm that the best way, this, this is just in summary of, of verses 1 through 7, Buffalo City Church, we would affirm that the best way for the church to be led is by the means of multiple elders vocational, um, and uh, an other, whose primary role is then to shepherd as a servant leader um, and as those who are setting the pace and the understanding of the mission, understanding the vision, and understanding the deep gospel impact um, in the life of the local church. Okay, so verses uh, 1 through 7 then, we'll put those in the review mirror. Um, let's consider 8 through 13, and we'll do this very briefly um, deacons, a lot of there's there's some crossover here. There's a couple of things that that we need to uh, address out of the gate as we look at eight through thirteen specifically. One is a lot of churches, especially if you have like a Baptist background, a lot of churches have taken the role of deacon and made that into like a governing board. Um, again, that's not what's outlined. The deacon, as as is proposed here in uh, in 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 this text, is um, is a servant first. They exist to serve the church in a unique and profound way, in a way that, that caters to the gifts that they've been given, and we'll, we'll get to that in a moment. Um, so what do we see in this text? Um, there are specific qualifications. This, this office is open to both men and women. Um, um, we see the men addressed first, and then in verse 11 we see women being addressed. Um, and these qualifications are given, again, similar to elders. I'll just run through this list. Dignity, um, not addicted to much wine, fond of sordid gain. That sounds a little weird. What Paul is saying is like that you're an ethical individual. Like, um, are, are your ethics uh, consistent with gospel understanding? Um, holding, the gospel, uh, holding to gospel truth with a clear conscience. Then notice that there's like this testing process as well, and I think that this is intended to be an understanding that these people would be active within the local church who are using their gifts well, who are building one another up, building the body up um, in love, um, and that's sort of this testing, um, this testing idea. Um, and then he gives a couple for women. He says likewise, which means like, hey, this list is for them as well. Um, and then he says not gossip, gossips, temperate, faithful or reliable individuals, and then he moves also into, in the discussion of deacons, that idea of being a home manager, one who manages their homes well, or in unison with their spouse. And again, these qualifications flow out of deep gospel impact, and that's what's so important about these. That, that anything, like taking these two lists for elders and for deacons, and, and taking these two lists and turning them into just behavior modification, like, oh, does that guy do that? Check, check, check. Um, and not understanding if that's an outworking of gospel truth or not. Like, that is, uh, that, that's the, the big thing that Paul wants us to avoid. Um, these qualifications all flow out of, just like we talked about with biblical manhood and womanhood last week, all of these things flow out of gospel impact. So the deacons then, their role is to serve the local church. They're not a governing group. They're called to use their gifts 
um, in order to build up and to encourage those in the local church. Um, yeah. So deacons, again, first serve. So here at Buffalo City Church was this main... At this point, we do not have deacons. We don't have any deacons yet. Um, this is something that's on our, on our radar. Um, but this is a decision that needs to be made in light of people's gifts and, and how, they, how they're compelled to serve and, and that sort of thing. So we're hoping to, to sort of establish this soon. Um, we want, but really what we want to do is consider the fact that people have gifts. And when we're sort of in this unique infancy stage, we're kind of trying to get everything together, get it all right. Um, sort of, sort of. We've, we've had to re we had to rewind and fast forward a couple things because we're we're just men and we, we don't get everything right all the time. Um, um, th this idea, if what we want to do, is understand people's gifts. So so sometimes in the, the infancy of the church, we got to be called to do some things that we just we're it's not our gifting. So one of my things that is just I'm totally not gifted in is like organizing large groups of people into like and getting them to do something. I'm just terrible at that, and I've been, called, I've been asked to do that on multiple occasions, or just had to do it, because that's, that's what, that's what, that was particularly early in, in the process. Um, it's been a blessing that I can begin to sort of delegate some of those things. What we want to see, and some people are like, well, you know, we've got a bunch of kids over there, and it was like, we kind of serve, well, kids are my passion, well, we kind of just got to make things go for this time. So this process is an understanding and a realization of what we believe to be our gifts and then how people can actively engage and serve in the local church in, in, a, in, a, in a way. And then, and then taking into consideration these, uh, these, uh, these qualifications given and the outworking of the deep gospel impact that we see. Um, so, okay, so as we look at this then, um, we sort of come to the end of this text in verses 14 through 16, and, and we see sort of, this is almost uh, an aside, or like I called it earlier, a bookend to the first few chapters in First Timothy, so we're going to set those aside for a moment and come back to those. Um, but in conclusion, we're going to be working towards, like I said, and like we've been saying for the last few weeks, we're moving towards covenant membership and what that looks like. Um, for our church. And so some of these things within here will be available to talk about as soon as we as soon as we get these classes, um, these covenant membership classes on the calendar. But here's the takeaway for us this morning specifically. Re regarding, I'm just gonna use the word elder instead of pastor and overseer. But elders are not the head of the church, Jesus is. This is this is fundamentally important, and this is how we get this idea of servant leadership. Like if we're not willing to serve in the way that Christ served his church and the way that he served her by giving himself up to set her apart, um, then, 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 then we've missed the boat here. So like a CEO or like a board model or a, uh, a sort of more authoritarian model of, of doing church elevates an individual and creates that person who is the head. And that is not what scripture teaches. It teaches very clearly that elders, pastors, overseers are at the head of the church, Jesus is. And so that flows into this next point, this next takeaway for us. Elders are men who are called to suffer and serve and labor on behalf of the local church and not to accumulate prestige or power. Like, the goal of leadership in church is not to accumulate prestige or power. Um, it is rather to suffer with people who are suffering, to labor with people who are laboring, to serve people when they need to be served. 
That is the goal. That is the heart behind uh, the biblical understanding of, of leadership. And then finally, elders are called to shepherd the people of God in gospel truth. For those of us who have been called to lead, and there are many of you in this room who at some point will be called to lead in some, some capacity in, in the life of Buffalo City Church, um, we need to have an understanding that every single thing that we do, every situation is impacted by gospel truth. Um, and so we, um, as we look towards these things, we recognize that elders, the people who, who are called to lead the congregation, to shepherd the congregation, are called to do so um, in gospel truth. And so this is why we exist, not to be, like, for the elders specifically, this is why we exist, not to be a decision-making body or to simply govern or dictate, but to point others to the magnificent work of Jesus, and then uh, to understand, to transfer uh, this understanding into our understanding um, that uh, to the other people who are involved in the life of Buffalo City Church, uh, those of us who... Um, who are called to serve and to, to live our lives in, in different vocations um, and in different roles within the church, um, the, the leadership is then designed to help understand how gospel impacts every single area of life. And then so, as we look forward to establishing deacons in the life of Buffalo City Church, we do so looking to those whose hearts have been affected by the gospel and who meet these qualifications as a result of that affection of the gospel, and then are driven by the person and the work of Jesus Christ as a suffering servant to pour themselves out in the service of the local church. So, just in conclusion then, verses 14 through 16, this bookend then for this first section of this book, and this is Paul's conclusion um, to this first section of the letter that extends back to the verse 14. It's really just a, a proclamation of the deep effects of the gospel and how it drives us to conduct and how the church is structured. So let me just read this for us, and we'll pray, and we'll be done. I'm writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long, but in case I am delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the support of the truth. By common confession, grace the mystery of godliness. This is the gospel. He who was revealed in the flesh was vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed in the world, taken up in glory. Let's pray.